The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. Today's world news, what it means, where it's taking us. I bring you the one and only possible message of royal peace. This is a message of hope, tremendous hope. And he said unto me, you must prophesy again. The Trumpet Daily Program begins right now. If there was anything I could do to produce a favorable outcome, more campaign stops, more interviews, I would do it. But I can't ask our supporters to volunteer their time and donate their resources if we don't have a clear path to victory. Accordingly, I am today suspending my campaign. I'm proud to have delivered on 100% of my promises, and I will not stop now. Before we begin, I'd like to take time to congratulate Ron DeSantis and... Of course, a really terrific person who had gotten to know his wife, Casey, for having run a great campaign for president. He did. He ran a, a really good campaign, I will tell you. It's not easy. Okay. He just said, will I be using the name Ron DeSanctimonious? I said, that name is officially retired. <laughs> Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, the man once heralded as the future of the Republican Party, the so-called heir apparent to the MAGA movement, bowing out of the race for president. He suspends his campaign a short, suspended his campaign a short t- time ago, uh, bringing an end to one of the most embarrassing and disastrous GOP primary showings in modern American political history. I think in many ways, the story of Ron DeSantis is one of the most epic failures in presidential political campaigns, at least in modern history. Consider he had the hottest hand in politics just one year ago. A 19-point win for the governorship over Charlie Chris, shattering all of Florida's previous records for a gubernatorial win in a swing state, about $150 million in commitments. He was leading Donald Trump in early polls. Rupert Murdoch deemed him the future. So if you want a losing candidate who puts America last, vote for Nikki Haley. We were the only Indian family in our small southern town. I was teased every day for being brown. So anyone that wants to question it can go back and look at what I've said on how hard it was to grow up in the deep south as a brown girl. And I just think she has an opportunity to talk as a daughter of immigrants about her story and inspire people. And instead, she's appealing to a base that's never going to vote for her. I think the telling thing here is I think this entire race is now over. I mean, obviously, we're watching Nikki Haley. The numbers aren't great. But where Ron DeSantis was 43 points behind in New Hampshire, 52 behind in South Carolina, 65 behind in Nevada, Nikki Haley herself is 40 points behind in a head-to-head in her home state. I hope Nikki Haley um, looks in the mirror and, and says, does she want to be the person who tries to stop a movement of taking back our country? Her numbers are not good here. Her numbers are terrible in her home state of South Carolina. And I hope that she does some soul searching, realizes that the globalists and the donors who are trying to control her, that she doesn't want to be their puppet anymore. Um, The truth is there's only one Republican candidate with momentum right now, and it's Donald Trump. There you go. Only one Republican candidate with momentum. I mean, it's been that way for months, for a year. I guess I guess DeSantis got off to a decent start as soon as he declared. But what a what a pathetic showing ever since. 
The moniker DeSanctimonious has officially been retired as the Trump train just keeps barreling ahead. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on this very cold and icy Monday morning, getting back from a show downtown with some of the students last night. Just a sheet, thankfully, from the, uh, the venue to the campus, it wasn't so bad. But the venue, walking to our car on a sheet of ice, 15, 20 minutes to do that. And then once we got on the campus, we were just fishtailing right across campus to the house. A solid sheet of ice that we awakened to here this morning at the, uh, the Edmond campus. But uh, thankfully, we're just, uh, we're just a hop, skip, and a jump away from the studio. So uh, thanks to some, uh, some helpful assistance here this morning. We made it to the studio. The ice is still out and about. But we are here in the comfy confines of the Trumpet Daily studio. And we're so glad that you're joining us on today's show. You can get to the live video stream of this show at TrumpetDaily.com or at the Rumble channel. Just go to Rumble.com forward slash Trumpet Daily, and you can watch live every day at 11.05 in the central time zone of the United States. Of course, the program is posted at both of those sites after the fact if you'd like to watch on demand. So the Donald Trump movement, I mean, it is the MAGA movement is as strong as it's ever been. What a year. What a year. So far, we're not even out of January yet. But what a year for Donald Trump. This was uh, Martha Raddatz yesterday at ABC uh, speaking to yet another governor. This one actually was in the, 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 uh, the race for the Republican ticket. Uh, he's not as well known. But anyway, he was in the race just like DeSantis. And uh, he's, uh, he's come out and heartily endorsed Donald Trump, quite unlike DeSantis. I mean, he did endorse Trump, but it wasn't, uh, it wasn't the most enthusiastic endorsement uh, yesterday when he made his announcement. But here's uh, ABC from yesterday, clip two. North Dakota governor and former 2024 candidate Doug Burgum, who has now endorsed Donald Trump. Good morning to you, Governor. Thanks for joining us this morning. You spent more than $12 million of your own money to run for president, saying you had the best chance of pulling the country together. And as uh, we know, during the time that President Trump was in office, I mean, we had peace and prosperity in America. And, and under President Biden, we've got chaos around the world. <laughs> All the talking heads. It's the same talking point. Well, you were running against him initially. Like, like that's never happened before in a primary. How could you how could you now join him? How could you now endorse him? Well, really, they have no choice because it's inevitable. Even DeSantis, he knows that if he's to if he's to have any chance in 2028, he's going to need Donald Trump's endorsement. So, as I say, that's why he comes out with the half hearted <laughs> endorsement yesterday afternoon. This, uh, we meant to get to this, la it's from last week at Politico, but it just says here about DeSantis's campaign, gives us a little bit of history. It's amazing to me how the, the regime media, I mean, we often go back and say, look at what these people said just 12, 18 months ago. Now, now with respect to the Republican side, I mean, the regime media, they have good memories in that case. Then they can go back and say, well, but look at what happened a year and a half ago. Whereas when they're exposed, they just ignore what they said, in some cases, two seconds ago. 
Tim Pawlenty and Scott Walker's presidential campaign can breathe a sigh of relief. The mantle, the mantle of the worst Republican presidential campaign ever has been lifted from their shoulders, stolen by the crew that ran Florida Governor Ron DeSantis's campaign into the dirt. It really was the worst decision he could have made in his political life, his political career. It says, as usual, revisionist his histories are being written even before the candidate has been officially buried. But then it goes on and says, look, we saw it all. It was out there in the open, this disaster. It says, start with the indisputable fact. At the beginning of 2023, so just a year ago, Governor Ron DeSantis was in first place ahead of former President Donald Trump. Then acknowledge, then acknowledge that the DeSantis campaign and Super PAC raised uh, more money than any other campaign, including that of the former president. Many in the GOP billionaire class gushed over DeSantis, promising to spend whatever it would take to vanquish the former president. What could possibly go wrong? Well, everything. <laughs> everything that could have gone wrong did. That's what we've seen over the past 12 years. Uh, you think about it, Christie didn't even make it. Tim Scott either, for that matter. They didn't even make it to Iowa. Iowa was the, was the first race last week. And then Ramaswamy, he, he calls it quits right after the Iowa results. And DeSantis, after canceling his uh, scheduled appearances on the Sunday shows yesterday and people talking that, okay, that means he must be bowing out. And sure enough, he did bow out Sunday afternoon. And now it's just down to Trump and Nikki Haley in New Hampshire. The last, the last stand, really, the last opportunity for Nikki Haley to make any kind of impression on uh, voters. This is from uh, the morning meltdown on uh, just how disastrous, in this case, how disastrous the Nikki Haley campaign has been. Clip four. So let's, let's get to the matter at hand uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, does Nikki yeah. Haley have a shot or is this just going to be the coronation of Donald Trump? Boy, I have to tell you, you and Mika, I have told you what I thought and what I hoped for. I thought that she'd make it a real challenge. There has to be a moment where you reach the voters. And I have to tell you, I've been to all the rallies and I have to tell you, Governor, uh, the governor up here, Sununa, has been fabulous. He is a great cheerleader. He gives a great speech. He did one last night again in a big crowd. And there was a great endorsement by the union leader, of the newspaper of this state. Fantastic endorsement. And, you know, and everybody did everything right. The cheerleading last night was fabulous. And then out comes the candidate, robotic. No personal connection with the audience. No mm. reality. No moment no where you boy. just say, I'm here. Let me tell you why I'm here. Mm. Just take the moment. And just say, I think it's really awful that we're going to run this guy again, this guy for president again as a Republican Party. I think it really is going to hurt our history. Just say something that's plaintiff and real. Because, yeah, you know, I get the feeling when I watched her, she comes into the room without bringing herself into the room. <laughs> wow. Chris Matthews and me, by the way, sporting the sweaters today. What a wild. I didn't see that clip. I just uh, saw the text, but uh, pretty wild sweater for Mr. Matthews. The tingling up the leg, Matthews. He's he's making a somewhat of a comeback. I've been seeing him more and more on the shows. In any event, she shows up, but she's not really there. Here's a little bit more from Morning Meltdown, clip five. You have to be human, human. And, and especially at this moment, yeah. 
And it's not there. And I wanted it to be there. I think the audience is waiting for it. I watched the crowd last night. You know, she gave us 20 minutes about all the nicks and knacks of running for governor. I said, okay, that's good for governor. You can be Glenn Youngkin, okay, and talk about schools. But eventually you gotta talk about China and Russia and North Korea and the reality of the world we live in. You're running for commander in chief and you have to talk like it's that important, that important on this planet to be commander in chief of this country. And she didn't raise to the occasion. She didn't rise to the occasion. I wish she had. I think it's going to be probably 50, 40, probably if she's lucky tonight or tomorrow. I just don't see it happening. And it's, it was just on the plate for her if she just became human. And I wish she could still do it tonight, mm -hmm. sometime today, maybe. But I don't think that she's wired for it. It was right there on the plate for her if she just would have became human. I guess you could say the same for DeSantis. He did, by the way, seem, uh, Jack Posobiec pointed this out, he did seem a little bit more comfortable and natural as he was announcing the suspension of his campaign. I don't know why they say suspension. Why don't they just say we're ending it? It's never suspended. Are they going to restart it in a couple months? I've suspended my campaign and he looks relieved. He looks relieved. And now here's the morning melt meltdown saying that Nikki is not human. DeSantis steps aside, and uh, it only boosts Donald Trump's numbers all the more. The, the New Hampshire primary, this is from Real Clear, it shows Trump leading by, according to the RCP average, he's leading by 17.5 points. That's for New Hampshire. This is, again, DeSantis had all of his eggs in the Iowa basket. Nikki Haley had most of hers in the New Hampshire basket. Of course, she has her home state, South Carolina, coming up. She's trailing by 30 or 40 points there. This was Donald Trump yesterday in Concord, New Hampshire. Clip eight. Just here in New Hampshire, Nikki Haley has made an unholy alliance with rhinos, never Trumpers, Americans for no prosperity. Did you ever hear of Americans for no prosperity? globalists and radical left communists to get liberals and Biden supporters to vote for her in the Republican primary, because that's what they do. They questioned me about that today. They said, oh, Democrats don't vote. They already signed up almost 5,000 Democrats to vote. That's your governor's fault. He could have ended that very easily, but he doesn't do the job. Maybe he's got something else in mind. I think he's lazy, actually. You want to know the truth? In Iowa, nearly 50% of Haley's voters said they were voting for Biden in November. So. The people that voted for her, and think of it, 50 percent, said they're going to vote for Biden in November. And now the leftists are spending millions and millions of dollars to flood your airways with Nikki propaganda. All you need to know about Nikki Haley is that every corrupt and sinister group we've been fighting for the past seven years is on her side. They're all putting up America First Patriots. They're, they're all they're all people that are fighting our America First movement and our patriots. And we can't take a chance. And so we'll see tomorrow evening what the result is from, uh, from New Hampshire. It's, uh, it's pretty amazing to watch this. You've got uh, some of the global elites at Davos, uh, the World Economic Forum, that uh, are going on and on as if uh, it's inevitable that Trump is coming back. Now, there's a long way to go. There's a long way to go. And uh, there are twists and turns that could happen that we maybe don't anticipate. But just to refer you back to what we were saying the day after, the day after the regime media anointed 
Joe Bama, and Obama's behind it. I'll get to that segment here in just a second. But the day after, we were saying Trump is coming back. And there have been, there have been, including just going back to last January. Can you believe that DeSantis was actually leading? In some of the polls, he was leading Trump. And then look at what happened over the course of 2023. Four indictments. Four indictments. And now Donald Trump is running away with it. As to the uh, projected (laughs) campaign or presidential election contest between uh, Donald Trump and Joe Biden. Here's what ABC, sorry, here's what ABC had to say about some of the the polls showing the minority support for Biden. It's plummeting as well. You remember the the video clip, we played it for you a while back from Harlem, I think it was. And all these African Americans that were out there on the streets in Harlem saying, you know, we want Trump. We want we want to see inflation reduced. We want to see the border closed. And then I saw another one just last week from the Bronx. All of these New York City boroughs, predominantly minorities. Maybe the interviewers, you know, selectively trying to find Trump supporters. You can never know for sure. But you can look at some of the polls. And and these are earth-shaking developments if you're a Democrat strategist. Because they always have 90% plus in the bag for minorities. Not so this time around. This is ABC from yesterday, clip three. Recent polls show the campaign is underperforming with black voters compared to 2020 exit polls. South Carolina Congressman Jim Clyburn has said he is very concerned about this. Vice President Harris, I know you just saw that, told Mary the campaign has responded to the black community's needs. But if that's the case, why has support for President Biden dipped? I want to be very clear about this, that no administration has done as much for the African-American community as President Biden and Vice President Harris. Okay, carry on with your talking points. Why are the poll results plummeting for Joe Biden with respect to the black community, the Hispanic community? And then the guy just says, predictably, hey, hey, Joe, Joe Obama's done more for the black community than anyone. They can't break away and acknowledge the reality. This is, uh, this is Morning Joe. Let's see, which one did we just uh, play? We didn't play the, the last one yet. Clip six, play this one. What have you seen as it relates to Donald Trump as a uh, almost a messianic figure in this election? You know, I can't disagree with the way you're describing him. The level of intensity... The passion of these Trump voters is so strong, and they literally wear it on their sleeve. They've got the shirts, the jackets, the Trump hats, more than any other candidate. And in fact, that's why I believe I will be very surprised if Donald Trump doesn't win on Tuesday, because every one of his voters can't wait to vote. And i got to be honest with you, candid with you, defeating him with Joe Biden is going to be more and more difficult because Trump's vote is going to be there. There's two polls, at least, according to RCM, or RCP, I guess it is. There's two polls that uh, have Trump ahead, 4% ahead, or four points ahead of Biden, and another one that has him as far, far ahead as six, six points. So here, here's uh, Morning Joe on uh, this one. This one really made me laugh. 
the people that, that cannot stop paying attention to Donald Trump saying, at some point, Americans are going to have to wake up and pay attention to Donald Trump, clip seven. But outside of the diehard MAGA base and the Fox News viewers, no one's been really listening to Trump. He's just sort of been in the ether. But now that people are starting to pay attention again as the election year really ramps up, and frankly, in about 48 hours, Donald Trump might be the Republican nominee because the primary could be over, they're going to have no choice but to pay attention. And when they see Trump and they hear Trump and see not just how he's perhaps lost a few steps, but also yeah. the, how his rhetoric has gotten angrier and more dangerous, they do think that's going to turn off those independent swing voters who may Maybe backed him in 16, yeah. broke from him in 20, and sure wouldn't back him again in 24. They're not paying attention to Trump, right? <laughs> That's all these guys talk about is Donald Trump. And they've been talking about him as being Hitler for months now, several months. And they just can't, they can't understand why people aren't siding with them. People aren't agreeing with them. Oh, well, it must be because they're not paying attention. I saw a clip this morning. I think it might have been Steve Bannon's show. The, uh, the interviewer on location, he was in New Hampshire, he's just in a diner, he's going right down the line, all these guys sitting at the diner. So what is it that's most important to you? Uh, close the border. These are people in New Hampshire. And this is like 75% of them, the first thing they mention, we gotta close the border, this is crazy, we're being invaded. They understand, they're paying attention. These are just ordinary Americans way up in New Hampshire. You can't imagine them being impacted by the illegal, illegal immigration like uh, Texas and New Mexico and Arizona and then some of the big cities, New York City, Chicago, and so on. But they see what's happening. They're, they're paying attention. That's the reason they're, they're throwing their support behind Trump. One of the guys says, I'd, I'd prefer Nikki Haley, but look. Look, Trump's way out, way out ahead, and we know he, we know that he'll close the border. He'll do at least that. These people on MSNBC, they can continue spewing the propaganda, but uh, even at Davos, they're talking as if Trump's already coming back, as if it's a foregone conclusion. This other story here from Rasmussen, someone handed me this uh, yesterday or maybe a couple days ago. It's another poll, a recent poll. Puppet show. Many believe Obama actually controls Biden's White House. Well, where have you heard this before? <laughs> are people paying attention? People are coming around to what we've been saying, as I say, since, uh, since the day after they stole the election, even before that, really. I mean, the spirit of Antiochus that was attacking, attacking, attacking Donald Trump during the Trump presidency. That was all spearheaded by Barack Obama, the dear leader. And then here is this poll from Rasmussen pointing out the obvious. People see it. You see, they're paying attention. A majority of voters think former President Barack Obama is influencing President Joe Biden's administration and agree, agree with the GOP congressman's claim that Biden is really a puppet for progressives. Well, to be more precise, a puppet for the dear leader. Biden's just a puppet. You may have, may have seen, well, actually Richard Palmer wrote about this in the morning brief. I think it was on Friday. I mean, this, the deep state, as I say, it certainly runs deep. It goes deep, not just into Washington, D.C., but beyond as well. Richard said in his morning brief, 
in October 2022, the U.S. government authorized the creation of a, of a secret court to oversee European data. Politico revealed some alarming details about it this week. EU law places strict limits on what companies can do with citizens' data and where they can save it. European courts repeatedly blocked businesses from saving European data in the U.S. This was a major headache for U.S. tech giants. For Meta, paying over a billion dollars in fines was easier than trying to split up its network to ensure European data stayed in Europe. It says here, so the EU and the U.S. agreed to a system that would protect European data in the U.S. As part of the deal, the U.S. set up the Data Protection Review Court. In November, its members were announced. Guess who one of them is? That would be Eric Holder, Barack Obama's wingman. There's still lots of details we don't even know about with respect to this deal. But here is Joe Obama again and putting in place Obama's people in another secret court. None of them, none of them elected, as per usual, all part of the administrative state. Just keep expanding it, expanding and growing your powers. That's what it's all about. They're gaining power, that's for sure. We'll follow this story as it unfolds. But uh, moving on to the invasion, just coming back to this point, the invasion at the southern border and how important this is for ordinary voters right across the country, even up in New Hampshire. Listen to this from Fox Business last week, clip nine. Cities, states, organizations, all force to make the decision, cough up more money, or go broke. Yeah, in New York, the governor wants $2.4 billion from the state's budget to go to the migrants in the rotten apple. In Colorado, a hospital system on the verge of a breaking. As migrant costs rack up, Denver Health didn't get compensated for $136 million worth of services last year. A large part of that coming from illegal migrants. In just one year, the system saw 8,000 migrants who made about 20,000 visits. So to put it into perspective, just how large the migrant crisis has become, take a listen to this. We just passed a budget with $4 billion for border security that we shouldn't be paying, Bill. That's more money than 13 states have total budgets. The biggest states in America by population are California, Texas, Florida, New York, Pennsylvania, Illinois, and the state of illegal immigrants. That many illegal immigrants have come into this country since Biden's become president more than any other state except those top six states that I mentioned. This is a catastrophe for everybody, and we've had it. It's a catastrophe for everybody, including, including voters up in New Hampshire. Ted Lieu, he's the radical Democrat, and uh, I believe he's in the House. This was something he tweeted out last week. Glue traps are among the cruelest ways to eliminate rodents. They're inhumane and can be dangerous to humans and their pets. Pleased to introduce a bill, a bill today to place a national ban on glue traps. This is what he's hard at work on doing in the House of Representatives. He's trying to get rid of glue traps. These people, they won't do anything to stop the invasion coming from all over the world, Most, mostly young single men, military-aged men. Open the floodgates, let everyone in. 
And here he's trying to get rid of glue traps, of all things. These people have, have lost their minds. And then they wonder why America First is resonating with most Americans. It's been a pretty good year for Donald Trump thus far, as I say. This is from the Epic Times. The U.S., you know, a lot of, Trump himself even, is talking up the immunity case uh, with respect to the Jack Smith uh, indictment. But there's another case before the Supreme Court that, as the Epic Times brings out here, might even have more of an impact on these bogus cases, these sham indictments and law lawsuits coming against Donald Trump. It says the U.S. Supreme Court, the court's recent agreement to review the controversial use of a felony obstruction charge in January 6 cases is already upending some sentencing or sentences. A recent U.S. Supreme Court decision to review the case called Fisher versus the United States, which experts say could weaken prosecutors' hand in uh, hundreds of January 6 cases, including former President Donald Trump's. Now, in this case, Donald Trump's not even mentioned in the case. But this Fisher guy, I mean, he was there at the protest on January 6, and he says, look, you're using some obscure law with respect to financial dealings and the, and the U.S. government to try to put us in bars for years or behind bars for years because we obstructed an official proceeding. You're misapplying that little statute. And a district court ruled in Fisher's favor, and then the appeals court overturned it. And now the Supreme Court has decided to take it up, which is a pretty good indication that the Supremes may not agree with what happened at the appellate level. It's a pretty amazing development. It says here that the Supreme Court announced it to take up this case in, uh, in December. It says the obstruction of Congress charge, which carries a sentence of up to 20 years in prison. You can see why Jack Smith's goons love this, this obstruction of Congress charge to tack it on because they, they can get Trump supporters behind bars for many, many years. It says Fisher was indicted for various alleged offenses for his role in the January 6th incident, including obstruction of law enforcement during civil disorder, violent entry and disorderly conduct on Capitol grounds. It says this, this is an evidence tampering provision that's part of the Sarbanes-Oxley Act which experts say was conceived largely to, co to curb wrongdoing on Wall Street, but it's now being used by the Department of Justice in January 6 cases. You know, Merrick Garland said last week, hey, we don't, this is not political at all. No, no. Here they are, just like Biden suggested in uh, 2017. Why don't we get uh, Flynn on the Logan Act? Let's pull that off. The, let's blow the dust off of that one that hasn't been used in in a hundred years or whatever it was. It's the same kind of mentality. Get Trump. Get Trump supporters. Go find a statute somewhere, and we'll put them behind bars. Says Fisher challenged the obstruction charge, claiming that the statute does not prohibit his alleged conduct on January six. And then it says how the district court ruled in his favor. Then it was overturned at the appellate level. But you can see the lawfare, even the lawfare is not going so well. I told you, again, just a year ago, DeSantis was actually leading Donald Trump in a lot of the early polling. And then the four indictments come. Trump's popularity skyrockets. 
And now they're not even really getting any traction on the indictments because they're they've bogged down in all of these, you know, tangents on the side, the immunity clause. That slowed down Jack Smith's effort. And now this, I mean, two of the four counts in Jack Smith's indictment, they, they basically rely upon this particular statute. And the Supreme Court, it's probably not going to happen until June or in the summer. The Supre- if Jack Smith goes forward and the judge there, they've got the radical judge in place. But if, if they go forward on these, these four counts and then the Supremes nuke two of them, at the end of the summer. It's all beginning to unravel, isn't it? They went in last year. They went in with the indictments. You know, you know what happened. The 91 counts, 700 years behind bars. All of it was meant to just get the headlines. And then they overcharged. <laughs> they overcharged. And now they're being made to look like fools. You have to think that in their heart of hearts, they thought we'd never... We'd never even get to this point. Trump would be destroyed before we got to the Iowa caucuses. Well, here we are. And the Republican challengers, they're dropping like flies. It's backfiring. Again, when you look at what we talk about in America Under Attack, I mean, (laughs) that Amos 7 prophecy, it says that the Jeroboam, the prophesied Jeroboam, that he's going to receive some support, finally, from the Supreme Court. From the kingdom's court. That, I mean, he didn't didn't get it after the election steal. But it seems like this could be the year, finally, that the court intervenes. The lawfare is exploding in their faces. They made all of these ridiculous charges. Let's get him on this. As far as moving boxes, maybe we can get him for like 35 counts of moving boxes. I mean, that particular case, I think that's the one in Florida. That's going to take 10 years to sort out. Look, I told you last week about the six years of litigation over Mystery of the Ages. It was a copyright matter. The Worldwide Church of God owned the copyright. Mr. Armstrong, of course, established the Worldwide Church of God. He wrote Mystery of the Ages. He said he wanted it to be distributed to the largest audience possible. And then he dies in 1986. And the people who succeeded him, they destroyed everything that Mr. Armstrong had established and then said, you know what, we're going to bury this as well. We have a Christian duty to keep this out of print. It's a pretty straightforward case, right? Okay, they, they, they officially own the copyright, but, but they're not carrying on the founder's legacy or what he wished before his death. So what happens? What happens in the United States of America? Can someone actually come along and say, no, no, we don't want you to read this. We want to bury this. We want to keep it buried. Well, as it turns out, and you can read all about that story in Raising the Ruins, of course. As it turns out, after six years, it took six years of litigation for it to finally be resolved. And here Jack Smith and these crazies come along and say, Your Honor, we'd like, to, we'd like for everything to be resolved regarding a former president of the United States. We'd like it all to be resolved in maybe six months. How about that? Because we've got to beat the November deadline. It's so transparently obvious what they're doing here. And even still, they, they've got the radical judges in place. And even still, it's not going so well, is it? 
It's backfiring. <laughs> it's exploding in their faces. Politico says here, the sleep, this is on the same kind of story, or with respect to that Fisher case, the sleeping giant case that could upend Jack Smith's prosecution of Trump. This Politico. Politico's in Jack Smith's back pocket. Politico will officially announce whatever it is that Merrick Garland's DOJ leaks. They'll take it as the truth. Philip Bump certainly will. He's not gonna, he's not gonna be skeptical over at the Washington Post. Just whatever the DOJ leaks secretly, we'll run with it as, and then we'll tell the public, don't you dare research into this. Just believe the Washington Post. Are people paying attention? I think more people are paying attention now than they were in 2020 or even 2016. They're going to the grocery market and seeing prices that are astronomical and saying, what has happened? And and in such a short time, there's been a lot of attention paid to the Supreme Court's upcoming decision on Donald Trump's claim of immunity But then further on it says, but there's a sleeping giant of a case also percolating in the Supreme Court that's even more likely than the immunity issue to impact Smith's prosecution of Trump. And that's the Fisher case. Trump's not even mentioned in it. And yet here it is on the Supreme Court docket. And it can have a profound impact (coughs) on, uh, on the case Jack Smith has brought against Donald Trump. It says further on, I'll just hit the high spot before we move forward. At a minimum, the Supreme Court's decision to hear the Fisher case means the January 6th case against Trump has legal exposure if it goes to trial on March 4, although the court might ultimately uphold DOJ's use of the obstruction charge. It says, and if it doesn't back the government, well, that would have enormous legal and political impacts for hundreds of Americans, perhaps most especially for a certain former president. (laughs) There you go. What a year thus far. What a year it's been so far for the bad orange man, Donald (laughs) Donald John Trump. When we come back, we've got a special promo that we've lined up. We're about to uh, officially open a new archaeological exhibit right here on campus at the beautiful Armstrong Auditorium, and we've put together a nice little uh, rundown of what's coming and what will be in the exhibit. So after this short promo, we'll go directly into <laughs> into that new video that we've just made and then conclude today's show with a short Bible study segment. You are listening to Stephen Flurry, who has a little bit of a tickle in his throat at the moment. And this is the Trumpet Daily. We'll be right back. I'm speaking to you from our television studios in Pasadena, where I speak to the world as a voice crying out in the wilderness of modern religious confusion. Herbert W. Armstrong was the world's leading televangelist and one of the most prominent religious leaders of the 20th century. Watched, read, and followed by millions worldwide, But his legacy of Bible-based humanitarianism came under attack after he died. The cabal of leaders who took control of the church he founded after pledging to follow in his footsteps 
methodically destroyed all he had built. Those who would stop them were silenced or excommunicated. This shocking story of betrayal and deception is told in Raising the Ruins. To learn more, please visit thetrumpet.com. Jerusalem is a treasure trove of biblical artifacts that prove the authority of the Bible. Beginning on February 25th this year, Armstrong Auditorium will feature an exciting exhibit of remarkable artifacts that prove the existence of the kingdoms of the biblical kings David and Solomon. The Kingdom of David and Solomon Discovered exhibit will showcase almost 50 artifacts from 10th century BCE biblical Israel. It will mark the world premiere of the Ophel Pithos inscription and a selection of artifacts discovered by Dr. Elat Mazar in the City of David. The exhibit will also feature some exciting projects that the exhibit team has been busily preparing for the last few months. One major part of the exhibit has already been installed in Armstrong Auditorium, a monumental wall reconstruction that now dominates the lobby. The reconstruction ranges from 12 to 20 feet in height, the same height as a Solomonic wall discovered in Jerusalem on the Ophel. This colossal project was built from 12-inch thick, high-density styrofoam. Starting in September, the exhibit team and volunteers glued together the styrofoam, hand-carved it to represent stone and cedar beams, and sealed it using a heat gun. Artists and volunteers then applied multiple layers of paint to create an accurate stone and wood appearance. More than 30 people helped out with this project over several months, dedicating at least 250 man-hours. Once the wall was completed, the next step was to move it to its final resting place. On January 1st, the exhibit team cut the wall into large sections. The sections were carefully driven across campus from the wall construction zone in the Mail Processing Center to Armstrong Auditorium on a large flatbed trailer. The pieces were then maneuvered into the lobby and put back together into their final locations. Many other projects are still ongoing, but the exhibit team is excited to see at least one part of the project finally in place. This massive palace wall recreation will give exhibit visitors a sense of the colossal scale and impressive architecture of Solomon's palace, showcasing the monumental nature of the United Monarchy during the reigns of Kings David and Solomon. For more information about the exhibit and to reserve tickets to the grand opening, please visit armstronginstitute.org. good thing they didn't uh, transport the walls across campus this morning. That might have been a disaster across the sheet of ice, but uh, be assured that they did do it on a day when the weather was pretty nice. They got it all installed, and uh, as uh, you heard there on that video, um, it really does dominate the, the lobby there at Armstrong uh, Auditorium. So the grand opening date, I think that's, uh, they probably just said it, but uh, I was looking at my notes as well, forgive me. I think it's February 25th, so that's coming up in a month, hard to believe. A lot coming up in the next uh, many weeks. I've mentioned before this example that uh, William Manchester brings out with respect to uh, Winston Churchill and just how that he, his ability to concentrate and to focus. I mean, it, he, Churchill got very agitated if his daily routine was disrupted. 
And people looked at his daily routine and thought, well, what, what's going on? He's uh, out at the duck pond or he's here <laughs> laying a, 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 br- a stone or a brick uh, uh, fence or barrier. And then he's off, you know, dining, whining and dining with all these visitors. And then he's in bed in the morning, you know, eating breakfast in bed and also sifting through the daily newspapers. How is this man so productive? Well, there was a method, a pretty profound and powerful method to what some would see as madness. He really did rule his spirit well. He had command of his mind. Proverbs 25 and verse 28 says, He he that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. Moffat says that uh, a man needs to be able to control himself. Now, ultimately, as we know from the War of the Wills chapter in the Overcomer booklet, ultimately we're to submit to God's will. It's God's will that we want to prevail in our day-by-day living. But we do have to comply. We do have to make daily decisions. We do have to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit or to follow the steps of Jesus Christ. Just to paraphrase those two passages, Romans 8 and 1 Peter 2. My father wrote an article some years ago in the, The Trumpet, The Ultimate Success Focus. He said there that focus, the ability to concentrate, is really the foundational pillar of success. Now, in a non-spiritual sense, Churchill wasn't really a religious man necessarily, although he, he was well-versed in the Bible. He, he did read and study the Bible, among many other things as well. But in just looking at his career, his ambitions, his, uh, his pursuits in life, I mean, that man, as I say, had the ability to concentrate and focus unlike any other politician we've seen in our modern times. And it's a good example to look at because as you well know, and I know this well myself, you can sit at your desk for many hours and uh, surf through the internet or check out these videos over here and end up getting to the end of that three hour block without having gotten much accomplished at all. I often tell the students, you know, this is why you have to be, you know, selective with what you even leave on, if anything, when it's study time. There's a lot to be said for the gadgets and for how a computer can speed things up in many, in many ways. But it also opens the door to a lot of distraction and, and wrong influences as well. One of uh, Churchill's secretaries says, part of the secret uh, to Churchill's productivity, that is, was his phenomenal, fantastic power to concentrate on what he was doing. And he communicated it. You were absolutely part of it, swept into it. I might have given him some memorandum before dinner, four or five hours before, and now he would walk up and down dictating. My facts were there, but he had seen, he had seen it in a deeper perspective. And so Deacon, the the secretary, he would just marvel. I mean, I gave him all the facts. Here were the talking points. And yet Churchill was able, over a few hours' time, as he studied it, as he molded over, as he put together notes for dictating an article or whatever it was, a speech maybe, 
he got to the depth of the subject. Really an unbelievable talent that he learned over time. The first part of Manchester's, I think this is in volume one. Um, actually, no, it's the second volume. But the, the first part of that, I think it's 80 or 90 pages that he devotes to Churchill's unusual routine at Chartwell every day. It says here, his bizarre daily schedule deceives visitors who think it disorderly. He was totally organized, almost like a clock. His routine was absolutely dictatorial. He set himself a ruthless timetable every day and would get very agitated, even cross, if it was broken. Another biographer said about Churchill, when his mind is occupied with a particular problem, however detailed, it focused upon it relentlessly. Nobody could turn him aside. Just think about the importance of relentless focus. Think about the importance of that with respect to your Bible study. We, I mean, we just have so much in the way of literature that we offer or we plug on this program daily. Monthly magazines. We've got a special issue of Let the Stone Speak. A special <laughs> enlarged issue of Let the Stone Speak. We've got Royal Vision. We've got the Trumpet Magazine. We've got the, the weekly email blast. We've got the daily, the, the daily email briefs as well. The co-worker letters that come out from time to time. All the booklets, the books, everything we fought for in the, the Mystery of the Ages litigation. It wasn't just Mystery of the Ages. It was 18 other works, including a 36-lesson Bible correspondence course, including the autobiography of Herbert Armstrong. And my point is, there's a lot to, 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 to read through and study. And we give it all away free. No cost or obligation. Because we want you to be educated God's way, to receive a true education. William Manchester says this, William James once wrote that men of genius differ from ordinary men not in any innate quality of the brain, but in the aims and purposes on which they concentrate and in the degree of con concentration which they manage to achieve. He says, Napoleon himself great called it, called it the mental power to concentrate on objectives for long periods without tiring. Churchill possessed it. His eyes were focused focused on Hitler to the exclusion of all else. He ties in, of course, the, the goal or the aim in that world war. Churchill never lost sight of his adversary. And, and Hitler knew it. <laughs> Hitler knew that Churchill was paying attention. Most other Western leaders were not. They were ignoring this advancing menace that was out to take over the world. But Churchill was alone in sounding the alarm years before it actually happened. He saw the, the handwriting on the wall. It says in uh, Biblical Manhood, this is, this is uh, another book that the church, God's church produces. It says, we don't tend to think of ourselves as officials, authorities, representatives, commissioned officers, captains in the day-to-day -day matters. How many of us woke up today and thought, I'm the commanding officer? <laughs> well, we are. We're the commanding officer of our mind. And so we've got to, I, as I covered in the first segment, you look at what the world is offering in, in terms of leadership. 
in, in nearly every case, it's just a, a flat-out disaster. So we in God's family, I mean, we've got to see ourselves as the leading officers, the representatives. God says we're ambassadors for his coming kingdom. We represent another nation. We're citizens of another nation, a spiritual nation. And of course, we're soon to marry the Son of God, Jesus Christ. And the bride, that is the church, she's a royal bride. And she needs a royal education. And that's what we're getting. That's what we're getting at God's college here on campus and over at Edstone at the Institute in Jerusalem. And in the larger sense, we get it from the church, this royal education. As I say, just think about how important it is to have this particular character trait well established in our day-to-day living. Just the ability to focus and to concentrate on our Bible study, our outside reading or watching world events, bringing focus and concentration to the prayer closet every morning, really breaking through to God with fervent prayers, or what about at work? You know, putting together a wonderful project like you saw with respect to the, the replica of the Solomonic Wall. That took a lot of time, a lot of people, a lot of ability to focus and to concentrate. You can apply this to just about everything, right? Matthew 5, 48 says, Be, Become you therefore perfect, even as our Father which is in heaven is perfect. That's the goal. We're aiming for perfection. And so every day we want to make some progress as we aim to that destination and we make progress by bringing that daily, <laughs> that, that daily approach that Churchill took in a, in a secular nationalist kind of sense to, to really bring focus on progress and growth and development. If we have time on a later show, we can carry on with this study a bit further, but as I look at the clock above, we are out of time. The fastest moving hour in broadcasting. You're listening to Stephen Flurry, and this is the Trumpet Daily. We appreciate you joining us on uh, this very chilly Monday morning or afternoon, wherever it is that you're watching this, and we'll see you again tomorrow.